This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to my patrons. They make this podcast possible and also very fun to do because we are able to interact on a private discord where we can talk, discuss topics, and just in general help each other collect the things that we want. So thank you so much to everyone who participates there. I couldn't appreciate you more. With that out of the way, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we collect Pokemon cards and other nerdy things like damn adults. I am your host, Jess, and thank you so much for being here. So for today's episode, I'd like to cover some very contentious topics, I guess, that we've been seeing right now, but there's a catch to this. So I want to talk about Web3, I want to talk about blockchain, I want to talk about NFTs, but I want to talk about them from a software engineer's point of view. So this is not going to be any kind of crypto bro stuff. This is purely a software engineer helping you navigate through the noise and the scams when you're given technical jargon about a particular project. And as you already know, Web3, blockchain and NFTs have been probably the biggest buzzwords right now in the software industry. And I feel this has been a bit overexplained in some circumstances, but I'd also like to offer my two cents into the conversation because there are a few things that I want to bring up today that I bet don't get brought up enough in Discord channels, in tech articles. So I promise you that this episode is going to be really good. The one thing I will say up front is I'm not trying to sway you one way or the other about these technologies because as a software engineer, solving problems is what I do. So trying new ways to go about solving them can be really fun for me. However, a lot of what's happening is people aren't really being given the truth surrounding the state of things. You might read a tech article that says Web3 will revolutionize the world, but from a technical perspective, they don't actually give you any kind of real detail on how it would actually go about doing that. You won't get a crypto bros perspective today on Web3 and the like. Instead, again, you're going to get a software engineer's perspective on the technology. So my hope is that with this perspective, it will help temper any hype or FOMO you might be feeling because we'll be getting into the actual practicality and realism of what it will actually take for Web3 to change the world so that you can then take this information and apply it to the next project you're considering buying into. And all of the motivations around here is thinking about things from a long-term perspective. How will this solution to this particular problem that this project is trying to implement using blockchain, how much longevity does that project actually have? So I will say a few things here that may or may not piss some people off, but I'm not going to pander <laughs> and say that everything is rosy honky-dory. The reality of things is almost always never as pretty as it seems. So today I'm going to cover three topics. The current state of Web3, where we'll be talking about what's actually happening. Then we will get into what's more important to changing the world, which is decentralization or is blockchain more important to changing the world and where blockchain actually thrives as a solution provider. And finally, I want to go over my case for why 
we should put graded cards onto the blockchain. So this is going to be very tech heavy and I hope that I can do a good enough job of explaining these things. Um, but of course, if you have any questions about anything, you can leave a comment, email me, hit me up on Instagram. But with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started. So I do wanna talk about the current state of Web3, but before I get into that, I want to first start out with some very general definitions of things so that when I say or use certain words, we are on exactly the same page as to what they mean. So first starting off, Web 1.0. Many call it the information highway. And to put that simply, it was just a way for computers to pass information to each other. So a huge portion of primary users were actually universities in its earliest conception. In the very first instance of the internet, a lot of universities and educators of that ilk were using the technology. But you can also think of Web 1.0 as a very static version of the internet as we see it today. And majority of the users were consumers of that static information rather than content or information creators. So after the initial conception of the internet, we arrived into Web 2.0, which is just a centralized internet dominated and controlled by tech corporations who are essentially middlemen facilitating the flow of money and information. So this is also considered the social web because tech companies' first initial intention was to help facilitate collaboration, communication, and the share of information online. So this is where we shifted from only being consumers of content to actually actively creating content. So once we gave Web 2.0 a whole bunch of time to grow and thrive, now we're moving on to Web 3.0, which is a decentralized and secure internet where having a middleman isn't necessary to facilitate the flow of money and information. So this internet allows users to do everything social media companies facilitated before, but inside of an independent system built on top of Web 2.0. So Web 3 doesn't necessarily replace Web 2. And you can think of Web3 as users owning their little piece of the internet and then using that piece of the internet to share information and money. Now, I do want to plant a little seed in your head because there is actually a Web 4.0, but that goes well beyond what we're talking about today. But if you are curious, I will share a link to a document that you can read that tells you all about the symbiotic web. So now I want to get into blockchain and blockchain is really just a system of computers that agree upon the state of data. So let's break down Ethereum, for example, as a blockchain, right? The cryptocurrency that lives on top of the Ethereum network is called Ether, which facilitates transactions that change the state of the data. You offer up a small amount of Ether when you broadcast a transaction, which allows for the transaction to occur because it incentivizes other computers in the network to execute the transaction. This is that gas fee, if you've heard of that word. And if you want the transaction to happen faster, you essentially have to pay higher gas fees for that to happen. The next component of this technology is called DAP or centralized applications. So the difference between a traditional app and a DAP are really straightforward. Typically in a traditional application, you write backend code that then gets deployed to a server like AWS or Heroku. And while on the blockchain, your backend code is actually contained in a smart contract. A common language used to write these smart contracts are called Solidity, but of course there are others. DApps 
also utilize front-end frameworks that traditional apps will use. So for example, React, Vue, Angular, those are all JavaScript front-end networks that allow for the app to serve client-side information and an interface, essentially. So what's cool about that is that if you're considering creating your own blockchain, it's you know, your own project, essentially, it is not that incredibly difficult or different compared to how you would traditionally create an app. There are definitely some similarities and some sharing of technology that you can kind of reuse. So now what I want to get into are tokens. Tokens really come in two different varieties, fungible tokens and not fungible tokens or NFTs. So really a token, what it is, is it is a digital asset. And you might be asking, well, okay, what is a digital asset? Ether, for example, the cryptocurrency that lives on top of the Ethereum network is a digital asset. And that is actually specifically a fungible token. So a fungible token is a digital asset that holds the same value across every instance of that asset. So if I have an Ether and you have an Ether, both Ethers will hold the exact same value to each other regardless of what happens. Now, of course, the values will fluctuate over time, but they will always hold the same value relative to themselves. So, you know, an Ether is a one-to-one -one relationship between itself. But when we look at something like a non-fungible token, that's actually a little bit different. So you as a person or as a developer can actually create your own tokens as smart contracts. You can write a smart contract where you give yourself a certain amount of tokens or non-fungible tokens, and you can then sell those tokens to others and so on and so forth. So this on the surface doesn't sound very different than an actual cryptocurrency, but the difference lies in the uniqueness the token can represent. There is no uniqueness in Ether. Values stay the same from one Ether to the next, but a non-fungible token can represent a different digital asset compared to another NFT, also making it possible for the values between each NFTs to differ from each other. And if you've heard of this, you may have already, OpenSea. It is a great example of actually a Web3 app or a dApp that helps facilitate the sale of NFTs as specifically digital art. Those are a lot of definitions to go through. And honestly, you know, you've probably heard of all of them or a lot of them. Like I said, I just really wanted to go into that nitty gritty of those definitions so that we can speak on the same page for the next bit of content that we're gonna be talking about, which is the Web3 landscape. So while there's a lot of great things that can come from Web3.0, going back to the original purpose of this episode, which is to arm you with technical information that will help you pick projects that have actual long-term viability, I want to get into the biggest issues or technical hurdles that projects will have to overcome in order for them to succeed long-term. And it really come down to three different things when it comes to implementing blockchain as a solution for facilitating decentralization. And you can really boil them down to long-term issues that we haven't necessarily solved yet or where the solutions essentially undermine the system itself. So the three biggest technical hurdles that blockchain projects have long-term are the blockchain networks not being scalable without a plutocratic centralized system put in place. And yes, the very thing it's supposed to replace is needed for its scaling. Two, there is a bandwidth problem in terms of computer and human resources because ultimately blockchain solutions are vastly more expensive to maintain than 
most centralized solutions. And three, there is also a storage problem. So whose servers will have custody of your private information and who gets to sit at the helm of those access controls. So it's not a matter of will somebody ultimately have the power to pull those strings? It's a question of who really. I put a link to an article that goes into the cons of blockchain in much more depth. So if you're serious about getting into these technical concepts, I would absolutely give that article a read. But if you're not, that's okay. I'm actually going to read the last paragraph of that article. Web3 is that technical manifestation of this empty grasping for a messianic solution that's going to solve all of our problems. It's entirely rational to want to build a system, more decentralized technology stack, and to aspire to a more egalitarian internet, a more equitable society, and a better world. However, Web3 is not the golden path that leads us to the world. It's the same old crypto bullshit just packaged up in a sugar pill to make it easier to digest. Wow, okay, so that was probably a lot to take in. And what does that really mean, right? So we've been experiencing a world where we feel like technology is gonna solve all of our problems or a lot of them or make a really huge impact and dent. And while that's true, Sometimes we also kind of blind ourselves. We put blinders on because we're so hopeful to the future regarding implementing a certain kind of technology. And so that kind of blinds us and gives us a little bit of confirmation bias when it comes to actually seeing the reality of something. Because, you know, going back to it, Web3 can definitely change things. but there are fundamental problems where blockchain is not a good solution to change things. And I think what's happening right now with a lot of projects is we're just finding these problems that aren't really good use cases for blockchain to be a really good solution. There's actually better, simpler, easier solutions that we can implement to solve those problems, but instead we're using blockchain or those projects are using blockchain. So what I would say is you really need to be mindful because if you're putting your money behind a project that has a better technical solution that is more sustainable long-term, you're gonna lose money if you are trying to keep your money in that project long-term. And that's just the whole point. Are these creators using blockchain to solve a problem that blockchain is really good at solving? That's really what it comes down to. So blockchain cannot solve everything from a technical perspective. <laughs> it cannot solve everything, but there are situations where it might be a really good solution to solve. Also, if we're able to come up with ways to overcome the other technical pro problems that I talked about, which is the lack of computing, the lack of bandwidth, and also the storage problem. So those three topics I talked about before. But to give you more information, more education around where blockchain really, really thrives as a solution, that's actually what I want to get into next. So really what it comes down to is blockchain is really good at solving one kind of problem where two criteria exist essentially. But before I get into that specifically, I do want to bring up the concept of decentralization and blockchain, right? Because blockchain helps facilitate decentralization for us. So, but then the question kind of becomes, is like, okay, are we saying that Web3 will solve all of our problems because blockchain helps facilitate decentralization? And so Web3 is the solution, 
or is the solution just the decentralization? And that's something that I want to bring up because there's a lot of opportunity there just looking for problems from a decentralization perspective as the solution, but not blockchain being the facilitator of that. So I hope that makes sense. But I mean, you know, decentralization is something that I think is really important to talk about just because I think it can absolutely change our current systems and how we do things. But something that many of us might not know is that blockchain actually isn't the only technology that can facilitate decentralization. So decentralization tech is not new. How many of us have used Napster back in the day, right? If you've never heard of Napster, it was a peer-to-peer -peer sharing platform that allowed users to share music to each other over the internet. BitTorrent, have you ever used BitTorrent? BitTorrent is another platform that helps facilitate decentralization and is still being actively used today. So if you use either platform at one point or another, you've already used decentralized tech. So that said, I think at the end of the day, so I think at the end of the day, what we don't want to do is stick our heads so far up blockchain that we don't see that there are other solutions that will do a better job of decentralizing a solution or a system rather than blockchain. It's an issue of having a hammer and seeing everything as a nail. So if you have this hammer and you see everything as a nail, what do you do when you encounter a screw? It's just not a good tool for the job. <laughs> as straightforward as it can get, I don't know what else to say to that, but that's kind of how we're using blockchain essentially. But again, to reiterate, blockchain, in my opinion, isn't going to change the world, decentralization will. So I hope that the biggest thing that you get from all of this is that it, it's not about blockchain, it's about decentralization. So going back to it, I do want to get back into blockchain because there is absolutely a use case where blockchain thrives as a solution for facilitating and delivering decentralization, but two pieces of criteria must be present for it to be a good solution, right? So the first criteria, the system must need to be decentralized. The second criteria, participants within the system are adversarial. So what does all of that mean? I hope the first thing that comes into your mind is the fact that this criteria is actually incredibly narrow. <laughs> so this should instantly tell you that there are very few situations where blockchain is actually useful. So next time you're considering a new project, if you want to be involved with it long term, it must pass these two criteria checks because if not, the project is just a ticking time bomb. Ultimately, that project will fail and you should stay far away unless you are trying to seize short-term gains, which obviously can be found. Now, it is okay if the criteria didn't quite make sense. We can get into the specifics of them. You will find that most use cases fail the first criteria because if multiple organizations or people need a shared database, the best and probably most reliable solution is to create a third-party governing body or company with an API and a SQL database. And that gets the job done. Infinitely easier, infinitely less comp complicated. And a great example of that is Visa, right? It's a worldwide organization processing millions of transactions per day more than Bitcoin and Ethereum. So just a fun fact. But this gets into an idea of when software engineers actually over-engineer a solution to a not very complex problem. If you use an over-bloated tool to solve a simple problem, more times than not, the solution either doesn't stay sustainable and it isn't maintained over time, or 
they are just overtaken by a simpler solution made by another company that's more effective. Over-engineering a software project is real and you always want to keep that in the back of your mind when thinking about long-term effectiveness of a project. So if you've established that a system must be decentralized, we also have to remember that participants must distrust each other because if they trust each other, then all you need at that point is a consensus algorithm like Paxos or Raft rather than blockchain. So that's really important. And again, going back to there are better solutions to those particular problems. Now that we've explored the criteria in a bit more depth, let's talk about an example where blockchain is an excellent tool to solve the problem of decentralization and distrusting participants. And a great example is... Bitcoin. Bitcoin facilitates the creation of a non-governmental currency governed solely by code. If the system wasn't decentralized, any government could either control or exert pressure on whomever built the system. And since money is intertwined into the system, many participants had the incentive to cheat either the system or other participants. Contrast that to a lot of the projects that were actually seen with blockchain used as the solution. Really what's happening is they're just using blockchain like a simple database, at which point you should just use a database. Again, going back to using an overbloated solution to solve a very simple problem. So with all that said, let's get even more nerdy. How can we apply everything we've covered to Pokemon cards? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's what we really care about, right? Now, hear me out, hear me out. I'm of the opinion that there is absolutely a case to be made about turning our graded card slabs into NFTs. <laughs> so let's go back to the two criteria that must be met in order for a blockchain to thrive as a solution. The system must be decentralized and the participants within the system must be adversarial. And to cover the first criteria, the system has to absolutely be decentralized. A third party administrator is ultimately a human, just like everyone, which makes that administrator vulnerable to outside control, pressure, or bribery. There is just too much money to be floating around where there is never vulnerability to that. So my opinion, it's gotta be decentralized. On top of that, blockchain systems have an excellent track record for security too. So for example, no one has successfully ever hacked Bitcoin. If you modify one node in the system, AKA hack one node in the system, you have to subsequently hack 51% of the other nodes in the system in order for the hack on the one node to succeed. That's not to say that it is not 100% unhackable. I think it's only a matter of time before a blockchain system does get hacked. But right now, blockchain systems are the most secure systems that we have. Now, going back to the second criteria, again, because there is so much money intertwined to the system, there will always be a portion of participants within it that are inherently not trustworthy, making participants in the system adversarial. There are a few problems, though, that would have to be worked through in order to make this happen right? It's not all rosy hunky-dory, right? We need to incentivize collectors to put their slabs on blockchain to begin with. The second thing is there is still a lack of anonymity that could disincentivize certain collectors from participating because of this. They don't want to broadcast their purchases to the world. And with blockchain technology being a collection of readable ledgers to the entire system, anonymity is just not possible. And the other thing too is it would still have to overcome the computational bandwidth and storage problems just like any other blockchain project. 
Branding companies nowadays have a bunch of other things to worry about that aren't the blockchain, but I would venture to guess we can expect them at some point in the new future to get into the NFT space with their slab. But of course, it's not as simple as them minting NFTs for new slabs that they grade. Because let's say with each grade they put on the blockchain, well, we then have to consider the millions of other slabs that already exist, right? That are already graded and out there in the wild. How do we get those, all of those slabs or as many slabs as we can onto the blockchain, right? And to make all this happen, to make this whole ecosystem happen and work, we would need a bunch of different technologies to execute that. We need to create an app that can help collectors mint their own smart contracts to live on top of an existing blockchain. Not every collector would need this per se, since I'm sure there are some out there who can write their own code and create their more smart contracts, but you know, there's that. You're gonna have to help facilitate that initial minting of an NFT. Then we'll need a marketplace like OpenSea that can help facilitate the sale of these NFTs. And we'll probably also have to figure out how to accurately reflect whether the physical item pertaining to the NFT accurately changed hands. I know right now there are companies who create NFTs for tangible items, but what I have so far seen is some of them allow for tangible goods to live in a secured storage facility managed by them. In this case, I don't know that I see that as being an answer to making sure people get their cards or maybe keeping the cards secure and the ledgers being accurate. So I'm not, again, quite sure how to properly solve the problem of making sure that, you know, buyers and sellers are honest from that perspective and that they get them. And you know what happens if it gets lost in the mail, shit like that. I don't know how to properly solve those problems yet. Probably just an additional data point that you would have to incorporate into the system, into the NFT, but I'm not sure yet. The other thing that we need to do is if each grading company creates their own dApp or decentralized app or Web3 app that allows for them to mint NFTs for the new cards that they grade, it would be great if there was some kind of Web3 app that facilitates the interoperability between each grading company dApp, which really means just allowing for the flow of data between the apps. This would of course depend upon which blockchain system the grading companies decide to build on top of because right now we can't build interoperability between systems if they are built on top of completely different blockchain networks. They have to be built on top of the same type of blockchain network. So long story short, there's a lot into making something like that happen, but I think smart minds can come together and make it happen. Is it a worthwhile venture? Absolutely. Will it ultimately work out? Who knows? Like I said before, there's a lot that goes against it. We haven't even touched on the environmental impact blockchain technology has, but at the end of the day, I wanted to arm you with technical information that doesn't get nearly enough exposure as it should. So when you're considering investing in a blockchain venture, you're able to look at the technical data points that will help you determine if it is in fact a good long-term venture for you. So it's about just putting information in the hands of the people so that they can make smart and thought through decisions with their money. Now that we've gone through all of that, you should be able to invest in cryptocurrencies like a damn software engineer, which means you might not end up investing your money into anything. But jokes aside, jokes aside, that was a joke, kind of joke, kind of not. I hope this information has been helpful for you. Thank you so much for making it this far. Take it easy. Peace out. <laughs>